Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cloud Wars Live, where we explore today's digital revolution by speaking with thought leaders and business executives who are changing how the world lives, works, plays, learns, and dreams. Our guest today is Wayne Saden. Another episode in our monthly feature of Saden on Digital, where Wayne, who's been a CIO, a CTO, a CDO, and other executive roles, helps to explain the impact of the digital revolution on companies today and how those companies can try to get out ahead of this crazy stuff that's happening all over the digital world. Wayne, thanks for joining us. Good to see you again. It's always a pleasure, Bob. Glad to be here. So, Wayne, you know, uh, by the way, Wayne, I just want to say, you know, you have become one of the most watched and most listened to of uh, all the Cloud Wars live guests and features. So thank you for bringing your uh, wisdom and wit to uh, Cloud Wars live on a regular basis. Well, I didn't know that, Bob. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yep, and uh, I think especially recently, your, your recent episode, You Don't Want to Be a Dilbert Cartoon, uh, has continued to plow along. That's, I, I think we can all connect with that. I know it has driven my professional career. <laughs> so, Wayne, you have been, uh, you've seen some things coming out of Microsoft recently that have impressed you. Tell us about that. Well, as probably most of the viewers know, Microsoft has been moving things to the Azure cloud and not just as infrastructure as a service and platform as a service, but they've been building on top of that and creating what they call the power platform. Now, I do want to say that it's not just Microsoft doing it. Salesforce is doing it. Oracle is announcing things. But because Microsoft made the announcements in June, I did want to highlight them. Um, the, the big thing about the Microsoft announcements was they've got a product called Dynamics 365. That is their current ERP CRM uh, offering. That's a COTS, a commercial off-the-shelf piece of technology. We've all seen them for, well, decades since the Oracles and the Computer Associates of the world came out with these things decades ago. They've also got a thing called the Power Platform, which could be considered platform as a service, but it also may be considered SaaS, software as a service. It includes things like Power BI, the analytics suite, uh, Power Apps and Flow, and there's a whole host of other small products that hook together on top of a database. And so it's interesting to me that Microsoft made enormous announcements for both the Dynamics 365 application suite and the Power Platform platform as a service suite. And really, they're starting to link them together much more than has been traditional in the world of IT. Yeah, you know, Wayne, I think that um, that reflects a broader term that's going on. You mentioned some of the other folks doing it. Salesforce is doing it. Workday now has about 100 beta customers using the Workday platform. And the from two or three or even certainly four years ago, those sort of hard and fast delineations between infrastructure over here, platform over here, SaaS somewhere else, those are blurring. And I, I think it shows the, the maturation and you know, the, a rapid evolution in this business. Is this a good thing for business customers? It's a terrific thing, Bob, because the challenge we've always had is having to build our own infrastructure stacks from bare metal and power and cooling all the way up to the application suite. That's really where we derive value from this technology stuff. Now, with the linkage of infrastructure and applications, we're able to build new ways of doing business quicker, cheaper, more securely, and more scalably than we ever could before. And you're seeing it, as you say, from the work days and the net suites 
And, and now what I find interesting is the legacy vendors. That's the SAPs, the Oracles, and to some extent the Microsofts are starting to say the way we did business before when software came in a magnetic tape or a floppy disk can change. We can deliver software differently and combine the best of what's known as COTS, commercial off the shelf, legacy ERP and CRM with all the features of hyperscale cloud. So Wayne, a couple of things that I wanted to touch on with that. One is um, what you just described there, you know, the, the tech vendors saying we can do this differently. And rather than doing it just in a way that's different and perhaps better or more efficient for the tech vendors, they're combining in new ways and putting things together in ways that are clearly much better as you just described for the customers. So uh, I, I think Microsoft is not alone in that, but I think Microsoft's been out at the forefront you know, in this move. And in fact, in their last quarterly earnings result in mid-April, Satya Nadella, one of the first things he pointed to of one of the reasons for their ongoing success has been, he said, our relentless focus on customers. Do you think that's a fair description of what's happening with a lot of the big cloud vendors these days? Yeah, I think it is. And this is what I think differentiates the traditional large legacy software vendors from the cloud upstarts. Let's look at two different sales approaches. Going back to when IBM mainframes walked the earth and Oracle or SAP or IBM would send a team of sales engineers and systems engineers, handholders that were included in your bundled price. This is what you got building an enterprise stack. You got the sky filled with blue suits or red suits, I presume if it was Oracle, but they were there to help. And then eventually up came the cloud companies. That's a lot of open source, a lot of smaller companies. And what they had was a website. And if you wanted support, they had a website. And if you were a large customer, they had a website. And if you needed to get them on the phone, well, they had a website. And if you're an enterprise customer spending seven, eight, nine figures on IT, that doesn't feel like a comfortable model to most of us. We want, I used to call it one throat to choke, but I was told the, the genteel term now is one hand to shake. So if we want one hand to shake, we had to go to the legacy vendors. And the thing about them was they were legacy vendors. Their code was 20, 30, 40 years old. Their support model was a release every year, every 18 months that quite frankly took me a year to 18 months to put in if I had the nerve to do it, and many of us didn't. And that created a technical debt problem for us. We were paying 20, 24, 26, 28% of uh, list price for maintenance, and most of us were afraid to take advantage of it. Why? Because customizing these suites to do what we wanted was so bloody hard. It was expensive, it was risky, the documentation sometimes was lacking, and so that created a conundrum. We want all the new features. The cloud is driving us to new features as we got to get things done faster, but it was dangerous and risky. Or we could go with one of the cloud upstarts, the Workdays or any of the smaller vendors. And we could then put in features at an incredible rate, but we didn't have that legacy breadth of features. And we didn't have the scalability of a legacy system. And my, was I worried that I would outgrow Suite X because they'd never been proven in my industry or for customers at scale. Now, we'll use Microsoft as the example, but I wanna say again, it's not just them. They're starting to say, you can have the best of both worlds, the best of cloud speed, scalability, security, and customizability. 
along with the breadth of capability and the scale of our support organization that makes the legacy vendors so valuable to enterprise customers. You know, Wayne, one example of what you just said, um, the enterprise cloud, the upstarts or the, the cloud native companies, and then the more traditional legacy companies that have flipped over to the cloud. It's interesting, you know, one of the uh, prototypes or the archetypes of the cloud model, Google Cloud, has hired Thomas Curian from Oracle as CEO and Rob Enslin from SAP to be head of global field operations. So they're seem to be tying together some of the best of both the incredible technology Google Cloud or Google has as an organization with some of the mindset of these folks that know not only how to move in the cloud technology world, but what the customers want and need. I think that's been a powerful fusion as well. Fusion. There's an Oracle term for you, Bob. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the hiring sends a message because what I worried about as a CIO was Google was going to be Google. They were going to say, ah, eh, we changed our mind. We're not going to be in this business anymore. Or they were going to combine products and change them and switch them. And how do we reach them? Look, I don't work for a Fortune 10. They probably have a different support channel when they can call up the board members directly. But for the normal company in normal industrial space, reaching out to a cloud vendor has been hard. Google's commitment to bringing in people who understand how to support IT and support business really says Google is making a difference in how they sell. Now, let me give you an example of something. Salesforce, when they started, was the end run around IT. Uh -huh. And I'll probably get in trouble with the Salesforce fan people, but that was their, their selling model, was IT's dumb and slow and bureaucratic and you don't need them. And then about, what, about eight, 10 years ago, they started hiring enterprise salespeople from IBM, from the big four, and they realized that sales engagement model was truly a differentiator from the legacy companies. They understood what a 30, 40, 50, 60 year old IT organization with hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people needed. And so Salesforce grew up and said, we've got to support the big customers. And I think Google took an incredible step to say, we are going to build that support organization. And now what they've got to do to look at Google is they've got to put something on top of that infrastructure and platform uh, base they've got. Because what I'm talking about with Microsoft and to an extent Oracle, an extent SAP, and then the NetSuites and the Workdays is they've got a software as a service on top of it. Mm -hmm. And you know, since this, this uh, interview series is really not for software developers or upstart Silicon Valley companies, if you sit on the board or you're a C-suite executive, and your IT folks are not talking to you about the difference between a legacy ERP CRM product and what we can do with cloud-enabled technology, shame on them. Yeah. Because it's not geekery and technical stuff or business alignment. It's what we can do for the client, my client inside the company. And so Google needs to take that support organization they've dedicated themselves to and that platform and now what are they going to put on top of it? That's going to be the next challenge. Who are they going to buy? What are they going to partner with? And how are they going to deliver? Because that's really where the Microsoft Dynamics 365 product is winning my heart and my mind. It gives me the legacy knowledge of all the Microsoft acquisitions and ERP and CRM fused with the cloud native application design 
sitting on top of a high-end platform, sitting on top of a hyperscale infrastructure. And if you're talking to an executive, if you're a board member or you're a C-suite exec, that means your IT people can deliver time to value much faster than putting in a traditional legacy ERP. So Wayne, that kicks the door open for a couple of other things. A two-part question here for you. You opened up talking about some of the things Microsoft's doing with you know, Power BI and Flow and things like that. And some parts of that, Microsoft has said, is the fastest growing product they've had, of enterprise product in their history. So booming things going on there. Within the last six weeks, Google Cloud buys Looker, you know, a data visualization BI company, and Salesforce buys Tableau, you know, at 40 times revenue, by the way. So both of those companies clearly felt the need, you know, to get more deeply into this space. So you've got Microsoft driving it from inside acquisitions there. So it speaks, I think, to the nature of something you've talked about a lot, which is the data is really going to be the key behind everybody wants to go more digital, but how do you do that? How do you get the raw materials that you need the data to be able to make that happen? Well, so that's where two approaches. That's where the ERP and CRM suites come in. They are, well, when I, when I talk to my clients about how they work, I do a pyramid. It starts with data acquisition. If you've got a far flung enterprise, you make things, you deliver things, you install things, you build things around the country, around the world. How do you acquire the data? Then the next level of the pyramid is how do you aggregate the data? What do I do with it? Where do I put it transactionally? And the third point of the pyramid is how do I do analytics? So it's acquisition, aggregation, analytics. And if you, do, if you have just the analytics stack without the aggregation and acquisition stack, all you can do is analyze what somebody gives you. If you have the bottom level and the middle level without analytics, what you've got is a transactional system, a system of record. And so the reason I think these acquisitions were forced on Microsoft's competitors is look at Power BI. It is a product that started from essentially nothing that was given away as part of Office 365. Hundreds of millions of users have a free license to Power BI. And if you want to upgrade to the reasonably capable version, it's $10 a user a month. And then tie that into Microsoft Teams as a delivery mechanism. And SharePoint is an, under, an underarching data storage mechanism. Now let's get even more cute and throw it into the common service model that Microsoft puts under the, uh, the power platform. I've got a, a serverless database that's essentially infinite for most of our purposes into which I can put the data. I can do analytics on top of that. And for my average consumer, they have a free license as part of 365 and a team's delivery mechanism to get it wherever I've got to get it. And frankly, to be doing data acquisition now that they put the frontline features. Again, we could talk about the Microsoft pieces all day. They've got a frontline capability that's being integrated into Teams. They have a product called Kazala that is essentially going away and being turned into part of Teams. That's an enterprise uh, end user reach product. And now we've got all that stuff kind of coming under one umbrella. And, and let's add to that, that when you talk about Power Apps as being a fast growing piece of software, it is not entirely free, but a lot of the licenses are part of other things you're already buying, which makes it effectively free. And it lets me as a CIO get away from shadow IT or rogue IT. That's people doing stuff I don't know about in an insecure, undocumented way with data. I have no idea where it lives. 
Now we go to Power Apps and we sit it on top of the Power Platform and we put a product that supports the ODI, the Open Data Initiative, which is Dynamics 365, SAP, Adobe, those are the partners at launch. Now I can get data out of my acquisition and aggregation stack, drop it in a serverless database, run all the canned reports, do Power BI for analytics, and then say to my citizen developers, have at it. Build a custom application on top of this COTS product with all the security of Active Directory, with the uh, administrative rules of Dynamics 365. That'll come along and be upgradable as I upgrade the COTS, the Dynamics 365 application. It's a terrifically powerful way to solve a whole series of problems that heretofore we've had to solve by buying a little over here and a little over there and this thing over there and glue them all together. Yeah. And so it sits on this hyperscale platform becoming more and more serverless. That means I, as a CIO, don't care how it works, why it works. All I know is when I need it, it's going to work. Yeah. And that's a very comforting message for me and my business users. Yeah, Wayne, well, that's, a, that's a great way to you know, sort of pull it all together. And it speaks to not something that's foreign to Microsoft's technological capabilities, but their sense of vision for how do we make the customer more successful? How do we pull some of these different pieces together? Anything from ODI or all those internal things that you had described. So Wayne, a couple other points, get your perspective on here that are related. One is, uh, is all about exactly two months ago, Microsoft and SAP announced that SAP now is part of this broader program that they're doing with all the hyperscalers. They're allowing now Microsoft, a portion of Microsoft sales team to sell SAP cloud applications. I mean, that's, that's stunning. It is, but in a way it's necessary. If you look at Microsoft, if I'm one of the larger accounts that Microsoft might go after, the question has always been, will Dynamics scale? And also, frankly, will SQL Server scale? Over the last five years, the SQL Server scale question, I think, has been answered. It will. And then when you throw the Cosmos database in there as well for analytics, I think there's no question it will scale. But the application suite has always worried us. When you think about application suite, it's Oracle and SAP. If you don't want to ever outgrow it and know that there'll always be partners to plug into it, those were the safe choices for larger companies. Dynamics was always the departmental, the acquisition you're doing, the little company over there, or the small and medium enterprise. So if Microsoft has a client, potential client, that has that anxiety, well, what if we outgrow Dynamics? They can say, let me introduce you to my friend over at SAP. From SAP, it, it really is an acknowledgement that even when you're SAP's size, hyperscale is an expensive game. And so you look at companies that are very large and very tech focused, have gotten out of the hyperscale cloud business. They've pushed them to the side or formed partnership agreements. It really says that the hyperscale game is a Google game, an Amazon game, a Microsoft game in the US with a few Asian companies as well. And everybody else is gonna be a second class citizen. So recognizing that that's not going to be where they should invest their billions. The SAPs of the world, the oracles of the world, quite frankly, can invest what makes them different. The fact that once you put in their suites, it is phenomenally expensive to switch. <laughs> so they've got a customer lock-in 
that's, I don't want to say it's all negative. It's not the switching cost because you don't switch them casually. It's the support you get. It's the business knowledge you get. It's the vertical expertise. It's the horizontal support. And so why should they be in the hardware business? Why, would, would you expect Oracle to go compete with IBM and mainframes? Generally not, although they've made a few acquisitions in hardware, mostly as an accelerator for specific products they sell. And so now recognizing that hyperscale is eating the world, why would you want to spend $5 billion or $10 billion a year keeping up? Just imagine what you could do to SAP or Oracle or any software suite if you could turn that into application and customer support investment and let somebody else worry about the low levels of the stack, which quite frankly are commoditized and becoming more and more commoditized. Why invest in putting a million or 10 million or 100 million servers and 500 data centers around the world when you can hire 5,000 developers and build an application that'll make your customers so happy they will never think about leaving. Yeah, barriers to exit. Uh, it sounds like, you know, those, those are uh, sort of the new moats that people are building, right? Not so much to entry, but to exit. You know, we'll just make them so delightful. I'm not going to go anywhere else. But, Marine, I get that. I, I, I think that, you, you know, you, you spelled a very logical case for it. But there is something that, you know, in the business world today, companies don't always operate on logic, right? The competitive banging, you know, but Microsoft being willing to admit to the world, hey, these people over at SAP, they've got these big global application suite. They handle some of the most heavy workloads, demanding things in the world. We've got some good things going on. Let's do that. And the same thing with SAP, you know, to be able to say, for as, as you pointed out, as big and capable as we can't do everything. And this is going to result better things going on for customers. So I found that one sort of stunning. But the real shocker to me was uh, when Oracle agreed to the Cloud Interconnect partnership with, with Microsoft. Because if ever I thought there would be a company that will never, ever, ever, you know, lay down with, uh, you know, uh, some other player in the group, it was Oracle. But they did. And it's, I, I think uh, I got to take my, my hat off to them for being willing to do that, because again, I think it's aimed to make the customers' lives better. Yeah, and I think every company can have their pride, they can have their culture, but at the end of the day, if the customers come and demand, or they see a competitive position that they can seize, why wouldn't they take advantage of it? About 15 years ago, I had to build an application. I had an Oracle backend in my shop, Oracle ERP and CRM, and I needed a mobile application. And so I put a Microsoft front end and Microsoft middleware and plugged it into Oracle. This was 15 years ago. And I actually got favorable press from both Oracle and Microsoft. And it was a one-off kind of thing. I had engineers around the world working to get everything to work together. Now, fast forward 15 years, that's not hard anymore. So let's recognize the fact that some companies are really good at certain things. Oracle is masterful at these large, complex, scalable enterprise systems. They are perhaps not as good at the agile, quick, in and out, hook it all together stuff, although they're trying, they're moving. And Microsoft made the commitment how many years ago to go with Dynamics 365 and rewrite a lot of that code. SAP, of course, has got uh, S4 and HANA, so they're making those changes to their apps and everybody's trying to make their apps more nimble, more flexible. Will they ever be the work days, the net suites, the cloud native applications? Maybe, but by then there'll be another generation that they're all catching up with. And that's the challenge you always face. 
the legacy code base that has thousands or tens of thousands of customers giving you billions of dollars a year in maintenance revenue, add a little bit of inertia to let's throw it all away and do it again. You know, Apple did that once with the Mac and got a lot of people mad, but everybody was buying $5,000 worth of computers. Now when somebody's buying $500 million worth of stuff, making them mad is a very risky proposition. Because every time you do that, you've got to divert enormous maintenance revenue from either share buybacks, uh, dividends, or new product development into a completely different and often incompatible suite, which causes wrenching changes in your own organization and to the customers. I don't want to, if I'm going to rehang Oracle because they've come out with a new product, that opens the door to let's RFP SAP and Microsoft and Ultimate Software and Workday. And so it creates a very scary dynamic for them. They've got to move customers along like this, slowly and methodically. But some of us can't afford, can't wait to be slow and methodical. We've got to make a discontinuous change. And so I think that's to kind of take this full circle, giving me a platform like Microsoft's Power Platform on a serverless database that I don't have to maintain with an application suite like Dynamics 365 that lives on a published reference data architecture, published in GitHub, part of the ODI, that means people can plug into it. Microsoft announced a fire server for healthcare. Other companies are announcing products that tie into the database. That in theory creates an evergreen ERP CRM strategy. I don't have to replace the whole thing. I can replace this part and this part and that part and that part without having to do a complete gut remodel. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're, we might be starting a period with the SAPs and the Microsofts and as Workday grows, the Workdays, where it'll be install it once and then live with it comfortably for 10 or 20 years. Today, we have an install it once and live with it very painfully for 10 or 20 years because it's too risky and too expensive to do anything with. And so as we start replacing that technical debt-laden legacy code sitting on stacks that we barely understand on-prem, we're creating a renaissance, an opportunity for companies to yeah. be faster, more nimble, cheaper, and more modular, even when buying a suite architecture. I think that's a transformational moment in technology. And I think it's as important for business executives to understand what this means as it is for technology people to get all the tech nuances. One, two, three. Gee, Bob, it was great to have this conversation. I think the stuff going on in cloud technology with partnerships, with stacks that are getting ever deeper, and with expansive visions of citizen developers, technical debt, and cloud native platforms are really changing the world of technology in a way that helps the business. I'm so glad to have a chance to talk about this, and I welcome people coming back and giving me feedback, arguing with me, uh, telling me their opinion. Thanks so much for having me. Well, Wayne, thanks so much. This has been great. Uh, really enjoyed this latest episode of Saden on Digital and your perspectives on what's going on as the industry matures and more and more of the companies, both the cloud native companies and the legacy tech companies begin to focus more on putting together complete solutions for customers, even if it means crossing competitive lines that in the past just would have been unthinkable. Thanks also to all of you for watching here at Cloud Wars Live. We hope to see you next time. Thanks very much.